What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponko Chicken. Ponko Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponko is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponko if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American Chicken Tender just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner, um, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponco is great and Ponco is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponco Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also. If you have not already, go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast will be there. So go do that today. Um, all right. I think that's everything. We can get into today's episode. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right. Welcome back. To a Monday afternoon edition of the Chase Most Podcast. Uh, Jeff Siegel of Early Bird Rights, one of my favorite NBA people um, on the inner sphere, interwebs, one of my favorite sites to check out every day. Jeff, good afternoon. How are you? Doing well. Uh, just, you know, hanging in there, trying to uh, catch all the, all the post All-Star games and trying to catch up on everything uh, before we get into the, into the playoffs in April. I um, was going through Rob Mahoney's piece on The Ringer today about uh, Russell Westbrook's uh, change um, from shooting a lot of threes to shooting absolutely no threes. Um, I'm like, yeah, I'm catching up on certain things and seeing certain trends. And I mean, I knew uh, what was going on with Westbrook to a um, just in, uh, to an extent, but I didn't realize just how interesting it is because like D'Antoni didn't actually explicitly tell Westbrook that he needs to stop chucking threes like he had been doing early on the season he was shooting like a career worst it was like 20 something percent he's like a career 30 percent three-point shooter and it was just extremely bad the looks weren't working even though they were doing the pace and space in houston and then um they actually went the other way where they're like eric gordon's actually going to shoot a billion threes and now you're going to shoot zero threes and you're going to be like our stretch five and dunk on gobert and just use your athleticism to just run around and do crazy stuff and um i don't know it's a really fascinating piece and i um I like that Russell Westbrook has actually figured out this new 
new thing to do. I don't think it's something that really helps um, sustain his career long-term because this is still something that he's using his athleticism to um, thrive off of. And we're, what, year 12? Year, is it year 12 or year 13 with him? Because I think he's been only 11 years. But I think it's year 12. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. It's not our notes to talk about, but that was the last thing I read before we got on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, cer- certainly what the what the Rockets are doing in general is probably the most interesting thing in the league right now from a big picture perspective. Just, you know, if this works, then are you going to see a lot of teams try to try to do something similar? Obviously, it's very difficult to do when you, you know, you don't have the top end personnel that the Rockets have. But it's it's certainly an, an interesting idea. It's an interesting uh, it's an interesting experiment for for them to to try out. I think the biggest thing that they have going for them that other teams, if they try to copy, are going to fail at is obviously just the the James Harden factor. The fact that he can create reliable offense with the ball in his hands without needing anything else to happen. You know, everybody else needs a ball screen, or if you're a big guy, you need to get you need to be thrown the ball in the post. He can just, you know, he can bring the ball up the floor and create reliable, above average NBA offense just literally by himself doing absolutely, you know, with everybody else just standing around. And that's what's making this work. And that's why they don't need a a traditional big man offensively. And then Westbrook, with all that space in the middle of the floor, can be that big man sort of in the way that he catches and drives and and cuts back door for alley-oops and stuff like that. So I think he's, you know, he's certainly thriving in this new system. And it's, if it works, I wonder if we'll see other people try something similar. I just don't, I don't know that, uh, that a lot of teams have that sort of isolation scoring guy that, uh, that the, uh, that the Rockets have in James Harden. And if you don't, you need that big man, just literally just to set screens and roll to the rim. You know, there aren't a lot of guys who can create reliable offense if they can't, if they don't have that, uh, that big ball screen. If, you had to like assess not the yet two LA teams because I think they're still in a tier of their own. But like with this new look, Houston, and what you've seen from them post Capella trade, um, and the way that they're moving around, and a healthy Eric Gordon, we should put that in there. Healthy Eric Gordon, a healthy closing five for for Houston. Um, where they belong in that Denver, um, Utah pecking order. Where are they in uh, that tier for you? I mean, I think they're just right in that tier with those other teams. Like, I, th- I don't know that that ranking those three teams against one another, you know, it just sort of depends on the matchup. Like, I feel like Denver probably has the best chance of beating this Houston team outside of any of the, the sort of non LA teams in the, in the West. I think so. If you're, if you're sort of playing rock, paper, scissors, Houston probably beats Utah and, and, and I think Denver beats Houston and then Denver and Utah would be an interesting matchup just because Gobert can match up with, with what Jokic does and they can sort of, they can protect the rim and do some of the things that, that take away what, uh, what Denver does best offensively. So, you know, it might be a little bit of rock, paper, scissors between the three of those teams. And it's just sort of, however, the matchups fall uh, is going to sort of determine, you know, who, who makes it through to the, to the second round and who, who goes home after the, uh, after the first round at the end of April. I thought I would have a better idea of these teams than I really do. Um, I think if I had to go with any of them, um, as just my favorite CB, Dan Favalli, uh, friend of the pod on last week, he's, his preseason pick was the Nuggets winning the finals, and he's sticking to it. But I don't 
I don't really know what the Nuggets would have to show me, I guess, other than just beating the LA teams. But I, I don't really know what else they can do to really turn the corner for me. Um, I guess just wait on Michael Porter. That was my biggest thing. It's like if Michael Porter continues to grow and he becomes um, a top 20 player in the in the just the scope of time with Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, then yeah, I would put them in the contender category. If they get if they hit on Porter to that extent, then yeah, sure. They get a Tatum bump out of him. Yes, great. It's just not coming anytime soon because he's still so so new. He's playing great right away, but like I just I'm I'm concerned about the timeline for him and uh the rest of this roster, and that's part of the reason I wondered if, about the Beal stuff. And then the Gary Harris question is he ever gonna be able to shoot again? Um, I don't know. I think it uh it's still Denver for me, but they still have some interesting interesting questions and they're just so different than houston like houston just no depth and denver has almost too much depth it's Houston. utah is kind of in that weird middle ground with both of them where you can make the case that i wish they had more depth here and i wish they they man had a little bit too much depth there um specifically the guard stop uh position and stuff like that so i don't know i think those three are going to be interesting to monitor uh as we get ready for the playoffs but i still think it's just it's the la teams and well we'll we'll see with the rest of them um speaking of teams in the west that we're not really sure about zion who put on a show this weekend uh he made his first three in like a month um it's a good looking three and he uh he is playing good basketball what have you seen with zion uh, in the last couple weeks and the pelicans in general because they're they're winning basketball games and they're they're closing on that eight seed yeah i mean i think that they're if they're not the favorites for the eight seed, just because Memphis has that little gap over them, you know, three and a half games, I think it is right now. They're, I mean, they've got to be, they're right there with, with Memphis, especially now that Memphis is going to miss, miss Jaron Jackson Jr. For at least the next two weeks, he's going to be reevaluated in a couple of weeks with that, that knee sprain. So, you know, I think that, you know, the, the Pelicans have to feel, feel great about where they're at. They have to feel great about where Zion's at in terms of his, you know, physical health, the, you know, his ability to, to play starters minutes, you know, pretty much, you know, just a, a few weeks after making his, his NBA debut, you know, he, you know, he was, was out for so long, but within, you know, a couple of weeks, he was playing 30 minutes a game. And now he's, you know, right up there at, at that 30 minutes a game mark. So I think he's, you know, there, he's got to be, they, they've got to be ecstatic with how he's coming along physically. And then of course, on the floor, he looks very similar to the guy that we sort of expected him to be. You know, in terms of you know his physicality, his ability to just truck through through defenders, big defenders, small defenders, doesn't matter. You know, he he's got great footwork, he's got great finishing ability at the rim. You know, he can't shoot really. I mean, like there's certainly like he had a, he had a great debut against the Spurs, and you know it sort of set off this this you know alarm with, uh, across the NBA world of like, oh my God, what if this guy you know is is a 35, 40% three point shooter? I think that's even though the numbers are there right now in terms of, you know, he's, you know, whatever, five for 12 overall, the fact that he shot 12, you know, you know, 12, only 12 three pointers in 12 games shows you that he's not, he's not that kind of three point shooter. And, and the, the, the free throw shooting is, is right there as well in terms of, you know, he's shooting 61% from the line on a ton of attempts. I mean, that's great that he's getting to the line all the, you know, a, a ton, but if he can, He's going to need to, at some point, sort of raise that that efficiency from the free throw line. He doesn't have to be a three point shooter in order to be, you know, to be super effective. But certainly that would, you know, that would obviously help. And so, you know, I think that's 
that's not my biggest concern with him. I think the three point shot, if it comes, it comes, if it doesn't, I don't think that's going to, you know, material, you know, make him not a top 20 player almost immediately. Like he might already be there and he certainly should be there by, by this time next year. Um, you know, but I think the, the defense has been a concern. Like he just, for all of his athletic gifts, he doesn't seem to like register what's happening defensively and get himself into position. And it's, it's just, it's so interesting because his offensive IQ is through the roof. Like he's so smart about making the right pass about seeing what his defender is taking away and, and, you know, just countering with something else already this, you know, this early in his rookie year, but defensively he seems entirely lost. Like he has no idea what's going on out there. And, and he, you know, he can make up for that with his athleticism at, at certain points, but at, at other points, he's just completely flat footed and has no, you know, no concept of, of what he's supposed to be doing defensively. I love the, uh, the Nicolay Melly tosses. That's one of my favorite Pelicans things. Have you watched when they do this when he's just coming up the floor, their little, the, the Italian center uh, who they just, yeah, I mean, he's he launches like he's a chucker, but they, like, they just, it's like a grandma's like just a granny shot, but it's to Melly. It's so funny. I swear. I see this once a game with them when I'm watching Pelican stuff where they come, it's like a quick screen. And then they just pat as he's trailing the floor. He, they pass it up to him. They just little, little underhand toss to Melly and he, he hits from three, but like the Pelicans, I I think the thing about them that just tells me that they're probably going to nab that eight seed from Memphis, and I think Memphis is starting to get hit with the injury bug and some other stuff, but they're all shooting well. Everybody. Like, Zion's not taking threes, but like you said, it, that's not really where he needs to, to flourish right now because Josh Hart's shooting 36%, Ingram shooting 40%, uh, Drew Holiday's shooting 35%, Josh Hart, like I said, 36 Zion 41 when he does, JJ 45. Like, it's just all their dudes shoot threes. And Melly, who I just talked about, 40%. Like, they, they're they all shooting well. And they're all big rotation guys. And the guys that don't shoot well don't take threes. Favors doesn't do it. Um, Jackson Hayes doesn't do it. Um, it's just all the guys that play. And we should, I guess, mention Etuan Moore. The Forgotten Son shooting 37%. So, they they all shoot the ball well. They're one of the, they're in the top five and three-point attempt rate and three-point percentage i i think they play good enough defense with that group i just it's a it's a smartly built 2020 team and i think they're figuring out a lot of stuff and i think this wouldn't even be a question if zion had played the whole year right oh sure you know i think it's at this point from what we've seen just in these few games from him if he had been healthy and playing most of or all of the year they would be sort of in, they wouldn't be in this race with Memphis. I think they would be like clearly in, in the playoff run, you know, in the playoff spots and, and probably competing, you know, with maybe Dallas and Oklahoma city for that six, seven, eight seed. What's the best five man lineup they could throw out? Do you think what's the best closing one? I should say the best closing one for them is probably, I mean, you've got to have Drew out there. You've got to have, you know, Zion out there. You've got to have Ingram out there. So it's really just how are you going to fill in around those guys? And at that point, it's going to be sort of game specific about like, okay, are we up three with two minutes left? Then you probably want to go with Derek Favors for defense. If are we down three with, you know, a couple minutes left, then that's where that's where Melly comes in off the bench and, and gives them that offensive spark. Um, you know, you, you, probably want JJ Redick out there just in general for, for his shooting. So I think it's those four 
perimeter guys and well, if Zion is a perimeter guy, but those four sort of non centers, and then it's, you know, which center do you want? I think it's, you play offense defense with Melly and favors and, and just go with, uh, you know, go with you play the score and play the, the, the possession and, you know, just call timeouts and, and get those guys in and out as much as you can. Lonzo's the only one who just doesn't have a good offensive rating with this group. And I don't know how much that changes, even though he's shooting better. Like what, what, what have you seen from Lonzo? Do you think anything about him has improved playing with these guys this year? Yeah. I mean, he's shooting the ball better from outside, you know, the free throw rate and the free throw, you know, percentage is still not yeah it's basically not where you would ever want it for a guard but you know i think he's he gives them a transition spark in the middle of games like it's not necessarily something that is going to translate super well to the playoffs or super well to like the last five minutes of a close game but just sort of throughout the game he can get you those easy buckets you know where you know, uh, you know, a guy like Josh Hart leaks out, though he's, you know, he's such a big part of their defensive rebounding scheme that that Hart's not leaking out as much as he sort of is, you know, should be able to do as a, as a small forward, just because, you know, he's 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 in he's in on the glass a ton, especially when Melly's on the floor. You know, they they like to have Hart, you know, jump in on the on the defensive glass, and so, but you know, anytime you get Lonzo and Zion in the open floor, that's you know, a, a basically a, a guaranteed basket. You know, you get those little flipbacks to to Melly, who's trailing, you know, for for those open threes. And so, you know, I think he brings a lot to their transition offense. He brings a ton to their perimeter defense. He's one of the better, you know, sort of point of attack defenders in the uh, in the game right now. So I think he's he's bringing a ton of value to the things that don't really show up in the box score as much. And so it's hard to sort of, you know, it's hard to look at his percentages and be like, oh, he's shooting. 56% 56% from the line and only, you know, 1.1 attempts per game. It's like, Oh my God, how is this guy a guard? But I think that's sort of a, that's what they're doing, you know, in terms of they, you know, they've got drew holiday. They've got Brandon Ingram as their ball handlers. They're throwing the ball to Zion a lot more now. So it's not really like Lonzo's playing point guard anymore. He's almost more of an off guard, more of a wing at this point uh, offensively. And if he's hitting his spot up threes, you know, at, at 37%, like he is now, it's like, that's a you know I think that's a useful enough half court offensive player that you can have him you know as a firm part of their you know playoff rotation assuming they make it there just based on the the other positive stuff that he brings to the table defensively and in transition. We got to talk about Bi and then we'll move off the Pelicans. Um, is he wh- where is he in the just in his game to you? Do you think he is a full on superstar now or is there something that you'd still like him to adjust? Um, to see him get to that next level. Is he someone that you could see him and Zion are two potential top 10 guys in this league in the next two years? Yeah, top 10 is, is a little strong for, for Ingram. You know, I, I don't think that he's, he's someone who's, who's going to get there. I think the, the fit between those two is a little bit interesting to sort of monitor. That's the biggest thing to monitor down the stretch for them long-term. Cause it certainly seems like Ingram is going to walk into a max contract this summer. I don't think that's, you know, even up for discussion at this point. I think, you know, the Pelicans will take care of that on, on day one, probably before day one, and just have that ready to go on, on June 30th, um, you know, as, as soon as they can. And so I think, you know, that from that perspective, he's a star in terms of he's going to get a no doubt five-year max contract immediately. So that's, I mean, but is he, does that mean he's a top 10 player or is he more of like a top 20 player? You know, I think that's that's the that's the that the dichotomy the that they. <laughs> I mean, 
it does a little bit like in the long term. Right. But I don't know like how much that absolutely changes. You know, obviously like having two top 10 players is better than having only one and then one top 20 guy. But if you look at sort of the, the history of championship level teams, having multiple top 10 players is super rare. Like it takes something like the Warriors these last few years to, to have that even occur in at any point throughout the league. So even just having one top 10 guy, which it seems like Zion is sort of on that path to get there. Assuming he's there. I mean, if he makes the leap that Luka Doncic made this year, like he's going to be there next year. If he's not there next year, he'll be there by the year after that. You know, if, if Ingram can settle in as the 18th best player in the world, that's a championship level core right there. It's just about building out the rest of the, the rest of the roster around those guys. Um, you know, so I think, you know, you have a, you know, the seventh best player in the world and the 18th best player in the world. Like that's, that right there is enough to firmly be in championship contention as long as the role players sort of fit around them. And as long as those two guys, you know, are able to, to make it work together. Interesting. Um, buyout guys that you've seen move Keith to Lakers, Reggie Jackson to the Clippers. I saw um, a little snippet on the side bar on uh, ESPN.com over the weekend that uh, was like, does Reggie Jackson go into the Clippers um, give the Clippers the best odds to win the title? Something along those lines. And I just, I almost had a brain aneurysm. I just, the, what, what are we doing folks? Um, not a big Reggie Jackson guy, but also the Clippers title odds uh, do not hinge on whether or not Reggie Jackson, guy who will not be playing for them in close games in the fourth quarter, um, will be on this team. So, what do you what do you make of the buyout market? Is there anybody else that uh, intrigues you? Dion Waiters to the Lakers. Do you? Um, it, it, is there really been anything that's been fascinating on that front for you? Yeah, I mean, I think the the arms race in the in the buyout market is sort of indicative of the fact that we didn't see a whole lot of these top end teams buying at the, at the deadline, really the only, you know, really top end team who who did anything, you know, of significance at the deadline was, uh, was the Clippers getting Mar- Marcus Morris. Other than that, you know, the, the teams that were also at the top of the league, but didn't have necessarily the trade packages for these guys. They just have been really active on the buyout market, you know, with, with Houston grabbing Damari Carroll with, you know, the, the Clippers with Reggie Jackson, the Lakers with Markeith Morris, like you're seeing these these you know, higher end teams going for for the buyout guys, which makes sense. I mean, we saw the uh, the Bucks with Marvin Williams, of course, as well. And I think, I mean, that's the that's the one that's sort of more under the radar because it's Milwaukee and it's Marvin Williams, and he left Charlotte, and nobody even knows. He, I would say most people didn't even know he was in Charlotte in the first place. Well, so you know, I think too. <laughs> you know, like it, I think a lot of uh, a lot of people are going to underrate that one but he's probably the best player who moved on the buyout market at this point and you know he's he also has just such a firm role with the bucks in terms of you know if bud will allow it he can take those ursan Ilyasova minutes and that's just going to to really strengthen them in a way that those these other guys who have been bought out and are going to these new teams the fit already when they walk in the door is already sort of in question whereas williams has just an obvious fit with with the bucks and and you know, fits what they want to do, fits how they want to play defense, fits how they want to play offense. Everything just sort of, he is a Milwaukee buck, just sort of hasn't been there yet, but is going to just slide right in. And so I think that's 
that he was the most impactful signing on the buyout market. He was the best player to, to move on the buyout market. You know, like you said, Reggie Jackson's not going to play for the Clippers, you know, in a, in a close game or even at all in a, in a health, in a, if, a, if they're fully healthy in a playoff series, like I would certainly think that he could play, you know, five minutes a game at the end of games in the second round of the playoffs. Like, I don't think that he's going to be somebody who, you know, really impacts them. Uh, you know, at the, at the guard spots, they've got Patrick Beverly, they've got, you know, Landry Shamit, they've got Lou Williams. Those are their guards. That's their three man guard rotation for the playoffs. So I don't know, you know, really where Reggie Jackson fits into that signing him to keep him away from the Lakers because of how much he could help the Lakers yeah. makes sense. I mean, it's sort of, that's, you know, what they're trying to do. And, you know, Markeith Morris doesn't really help the Lakers any more than Kyle Kuzma did. So I yeah. don't really know why they went for him other than just sort of a panic. Like, oh my God, what if we don't get anybody where we need to strengthen somewhere? We don't have Cousins anyway. I think they probably got like some results that like Cousins not going to be ready and he can't contribute in the playoffs where like they were talking that up uh, as a possibility. And they're like, okay, yeah, this dude's not playing for us in the playoffs. So let's just get somebody in the cu- the Cousins spot. Yeah. And that makes sense. I think this isn't necessarily the guy the perfect fit, but this might be the only fit. Like this guy might be the last buyout guy on the market anyway. And they went after Reggie Jackson, you know, and I'm sure they, they've, you know, they kick the tires on, on Michael kid Gilchrist and, and Marvin Williams as well, just to see, you know, every, any place that they could strengthen their roster. They really needed a ball handler. And the fact that they didn't get Reggie Jackson is, you know, pretty unfortunate. I don't know. Certainly from my perspective, uh, you know, on the outside, why Reggie Jackson chose the Clippers probably because you know he's got a really good relationship with Paul George and that's sort of played into it but that you know certainly from his his playing time perspective he would have walked right into to the Lakers rotation they you know they're just as as good a title favorites as the Clippers so it's not like he you know chose the Clippers for you know for for an easy path to a ring the Lakers are right there as well so it you know, to me, that was a little bit confusing as to why he chose the Clippers, because you would think that the money's the same, the title chances are pretty much the same, and he'd have a much bigger role you know, with the Lakers than the Clippers. But it might it might have just come down to, you know, Paul George is one of my best friends and I just want to play with him. And if so, then that's, you know, more power to him. That's exactly what he he should do. So, you know, it's it, that from the Lakers perspective, I think they've got to be a little bit disappointed with how the trade deadline and the buyout market have have played out for them. They didn't really, you know, they didn't make a move to to strengthen their their key weaknesses on 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 the perimeter as with ball handlers. And Markeith Morris doesn't totally move the needle. It helps, but it doesn't, you know, I don't think he moves the needle for them in terms of their their title chances. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, this is something that I've been thinking about. And I know you'll have a better answer for this than me, but when does it make sense for a team to buy out somebody? Because like the NFL, it's very easily like we've just been conditioned to understand the cap casualty guys and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's not as complicated. The NBA, it's complicated. We obviously just look at um, what happened with the amnesty clause and how confusing that was. And when does it make sense for a team to buy out a guy? So like, is there certain guys that you look at and you're like, okay, it makes sense for this team to eat this amount of money. It makes sense for them to use that right now. When does it for you make sense for teams to make a buyout offer available to a player? And has there been anyone in the last year or two where you're like, why did the, nothing was gained by buying out this player or even thinking about buying out this player? Buyouts are, are tricky. A lot of, a lot of the buyout stuff comes down to, like personal, you know, like 
not politics, not politics, but like personality stuff between the player and the team that he's on. You know, I think a lot of that comes down to the team can show a team, a bad team can show that they are taking care of their guys by buying them out and letting them go to a contender. That's what, you know, I think that's what Charlotte's doing or has done with, with Marvin Williams and Michael Cade Gilchrist. That's certainly what Detroit has done with, with Reggie Jackson and Markeith Morris. Those are guys who don't fit into the long-term vision of the team, buying them out early and letting them go to a team that will value them for the rest of this season and let them sort of show what they can do. That has benefits for the player, of course, who can then walk into free agency as he would anyway, and with, you know, with a, a stronger resume. And it helps the team in terms of showing the rest of the league that, hey, if you come sign with us and things don't work out, we'll take care of you. We'll buy you out. We'll get you to somewhere that you want to go. And so I think that's it's it's not necessarily something that nece- that plays super well you know, with the fans of the team that, that loses the guy because they want to to they want to just see that guy play for them. But, you know, for you know, for the players and for the team's long term hopes, I think that's that's the biggest thing that they want to do that for is to sort of show the league we take care of our veterans here. Even if you sign with us and we're in the middle of a rebuild, we get down to the end of your 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 year with us. We're gonna take care of you. We'll buy you out. We're happy to to do that sort of thing for you to get you to a place that you want to go, you know, whether that's the right thing to do, whether that's sort of, whether the, the rules should be set up in a different way so that buyouts are no longer a thing. That's a discussion for another day. I think that's a, that's a very interesting discussion. I can see why it's sort of a little bit unfair that the top end teams get the best buyout guys and why does a buyout market exist at all? Why, why do we have a trade deadline if we can just do this buyout right. stuff, you know, two weeks later? So I think there's there's there is a, a real discussion to be had whether the buyout market is even a good idea at all and whether you know anybody bought out after the trade deadline should even be playoff eligible. There's certainly a real discussion mm. to be had about that. Um, but in terms of why the teams do it, you know, I think certainly it also helps in terms of saving money. You know, they'll save you know a few hundred thousand dollars on every one of these guys that they buy out, and you know, for these small market teams, that's you know can be a, a pretty nice incentive as well. Mm. So it seems like it's just going to become a bigger thing for small market teams and big market teams are never going to really do it. And that's why teams like the Knicks are like, God, oh, no, we're, we're good. We don't need to, we don't need the savings. Um, is Kobe white, Aaron Brooks or Damian Lillard on in a, in a few years? Who is he? <laughs> He's much closer to Aaron Brooks than he is to, to Damian Lillard. I mean, and, Co- and I like Kobe white. I, I liked him in the draft. He was in my, you know, he was in that sort of, six seven like eight nine range i want to say he was somewhere in through there for me but like he's not been all that great for for you know for for chicago i don't think that he's there's not a whole lot of evidence that he's on any sort of damian lillard like trajectory at all um certainly you know like he's much closer to to where aaron brooks you know was coming through than than where lillard is now from him and it scares me yeah i think that's sh- should scare you is like he's not you know for a for a top 10 guy like that you would want something a little bit better but you know you're not going to hit on every top 10 pick and we're not sitting here saying that he's absolutely going to bust you know because De'Aaron Fox was the fifth overall pick and looked worse than this his rookie year and now you know he's you know pretty much in line for a max deal in Sacramento he turned the corner in year two 
we're going to have to see him turn the corner in year two. I think there's been some research done that, you know, if you're going to be a star, especially I think at the, at the point guard spot, but even just in general, if you're going to be a star, you better start putting that together by your second year. And if you haven't by like midway through your third year, then we can pretty much write you off. You know, I think that was Ben Taylor who did that on his site. I can't totally remember, but I, I, I remember seeing something about, young point guards, if they don't turn the corner by year two, early part of year three, then they're just never going to turn the corner. And, you know, Kobe White, we're going to see, you know, certainly it's not good right now, but it's not good for a lot of rookie point guards. We'll see, you know, what he does over the summer, how he comes back next year and and what he's able to do, you know, this time next year, we're going to have a much, much sort of clearer picture of what he's going to be than we do right now. That's a good transition to the last thing I wanted to ask you about because the Cavaliers, obviously, turmoil, Jimmy Baker staff's now coaching, Beeline reassigned, Tristan Thompson not bought out, Kevin Love not traded, um, their backcourt stinks. I I wonder about, like, guys, so this would just suck. The I mean, everything about Cleveland right now sucks, but if you're the Cavs and you're Kobe Altman, and this is probably, like, he should lose his job over this, but... If it like if you're looking at the Cavs situation, right, and you're looking at Chetty, who is fine, but like you look at their young pieces right now, Kevin Porter Jr. is probably the one you feel best about, which isn't good. Um, I don't think you can invest in Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. You can't spend the next three years putting the right team around those two. Like you can't keep going. You can't move off Kevin Love. You can't re-sign Drummond and then just hope that like these two are going to figure it out. Like, I don't think we've seen anything from Colin Sexton to indicate that he's going to be a star. Darius Garland, I guess there's a little bit more wiggle room there, but I, I don't know if I'm Cleveland, if I'm the GM in Cleveland right now, if I'm Altman, I'm like, we're starting over. Like the Drummond stuff was just weird, but also like I'm, I'm starting over. Like I'm getting out of the Colin Sexton business this summer. That's, that's over. Like we're moving on from that. We're admitting our Dion waiters type, like it's not as bad. I mean, it's not even, I should say it's not as good as the Kyrie Dion waiters experiment. It's worse, but also like it's not working. Go ahead and move off. Don't waste time trying to make this stuff work. Like I would, if I'm Cleveland, I think I'm just like, no, we're moving on everybody. We're starting over again. We're not going to waste five years trying to figure this out and hope that JB Bickerstaff can turn Sexton and uh, Garland into Lillard and McCollum or Beal and Wall. Like, that's not happening. Most likely, it's just not. Like, Colin Sexton's just bad. Like, he's just bad. And like you said, going into year two, year three, if they haven't figured it out by that point, they're not going to. They're not going to be a star. Like, Colin Sexton's not going to be a star. And then you look at um, Darius Garland. Maybe. Probably not. So if that's the case, guard's the most important position in the NBA right now. You got to have a guard who can play. Um, I think I'm out. Like, I think I move on from everybody. I think I just I cut bait. Is that crazy? It's not the path I would take. I don't know that it's a hundred percent crazy. I think if we get to, you know, this point next year and, and, and the Cavaliers are sort of still where they're at, then, then I think that's when they can start to sort of think about what can they get for, for these guys. But I don't, I don't know at this point with what we've seen from Colin Sexton. Yeah. He's not going to be CJ McCollum, but he can still be, a, a really serviceable third guard, you know, off That's the, problem, uh, you know, though. guy off the bench. You don't. What, that how is that a problem? They've got him. They've got him. You know, already for cheap. Like, there's no reason to, to, to move off of him. It's not like that they're paying him, you know, twenty five million dollars and he's coming off the bench. 
you know, he, you know, he's, he's fine. He's paying, you know, $5 million the next couple of years, 6.3 after that. And then you'll figure it out in, in free agency, you know, and I think he's, he's made strides this year. Like he is a, a more confident three point shooter. It's the, the ball's not going in quite as much as it did last year, just because he, he finished the year so hot last year, but he's still, you know, 37% from, you know, from three, he's making more of his twos this year. He's making more of his free throws. He's getting to the line a little bit more. Like he's, he's better defensively than he was this, you know, JB Bickerstaff is his fourth coach in a year and a half. Like that's not good for a, a young guard. That's not good for anybody, but that's especially not good for a young guard who is coming, coming in, trying to figure out the NBA. And now he's got his fourth different head coach telling him, Hey, this is how I want you to play. That I mean that that's the the level of the just the level of instability around Sexton has made it almost impossible for him to be great. And he's not been great, but he's been fine. Like he's not like he he really hurts them on defense. And you know some of that has to do with the fact that he's had four coaches and four different defensive systems and all these these different you know players around him who are also not very good defenders. Like he's been sort of a train wreck on that end of the floor. You know, in fact, he's been pretty much exactly a train wreck on that end of the floor, but the offense is coming around. He can, you, you know, he's he, now, this is the second year in a row that he's making his threes. The two point shots are coming around. He's getting to the line. He's hitting his free throws. Like he's not, you know, he's better as a playmaker this year. You know, I think he's making strides, even though it doesn't look great. Like I'm not out on, on Sexton the way a lot of people are. I don't think that he's somebody that I would absolutely be looking to, to get rid of. I think he can be a solid, you know, off guard off the bench and he can maybe even be better than that. If you give him a little bit of stability, you give him the same head coach for more than three months in a row. Maybe he can actually be something bigger than, than what he is now. And so, you know, I wouldn't be, be out on him. I, you know, for the same reason that I wouldn't be out on Kobe white, Darius Garland, same thing. You got to give point guards two, two and a half years before, you know, you really, you know, know what they're going to be long-term. So I think that, uh, you know, cutting bait on Garland at this point would, would probably be a mistake because you, you don't know where he's going to be year two. You know, I, I would imagine that we would have had the same conversation about De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento. And then he broke out. We've had these, these same sort of guys, you know, come into the league, be terrible point guards as rookies. Rookie point guard is probably the hardest position to play as a rookie. You have to give these guys time to to grow. And and the fact that there's so much other so much instability around them makes it that much harder for them to grow. So I would not be, you know, hitting the absolute reset button if I were Kobe Altman. I would just be terrified. Like this is my biggest fear. If I'm just running an NBA team, it's just betting wrong. Like if you, if you bet on him having the deer and box bump, or he turns into Dennis Smith Jr. Like that stuff happens so quick. And once they go down that road, it's just like, Oh God, now what do we do? Yeah. But I mean, even that's how I look at even it. a guy like, like it's so like, it's just so much pressure is built around how you draft guards now and which ones work and which ones don't. They had the ball yeah, so I mean, and much. they're going to have another yeah. top five pick this year, and there are a, a handful of guards at the top of this draft: Lamelo Ball, Anthony Edwards. Like, if they want to go after a guard this year and move yeah. off of of Sexton, I would not say that having Garland and Sexton on their team means they're 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 set at the guard spots. Like, they they certainly need that top end guard, and it doesn't it's 
I think we can be relatively confident that Sexton is not going to be that guy. Garland still might, but probably not because we just haven't seen that sort of top end and talent quite yet, but it's still possible that he could get there in year two. Sexton, I think we can say like if he's his long-term outlook might be like a scoring guard off the bench, which is fine. That's still, you know, that's, that's still a, a relatively decent outcome for, for him. It's not the top end outcome they would have wanted, but they're going to have another top five pick this year, probably another one next year. Like they're going to have their chances to, to get that sort of difference making guard and they can still have Sexton on this team where Garland fits into that is going to be interesting. It sort of depends on where they fall in the draft and, you know, sort of what, what he can show over these next few months, what he can show going into next year. But even Dennis Smith Jr. had trade value at the, you know, midway through his rookie contract when they traded him, when Dallas traded him to, to New York for Chris Depp's Porzingis and, and sort of all that other moving stuff that went into that trade. So even guards who don't show anything by the end of their second year have that sort of trade value. So I think that, that Cleveland can be patient with Garland see how he fits on next year's team, even if they have a LaMelo ball or another top-end guard on their team from from the draft, they can sort of see where Garland fits and then figure it out from there. Okay. We'll have to see. But my gut tells me the year is 2020. What are we in? 2020? 2023. And neither of these guys are on the team, and they're just this whole roster is turned over because they bet wrong on these guys and wasted time trying to get the right guys around them. That's just my gut. That is my gut. Um, they'll probably be good role players somewhere else on different teams and contending for titles on the Mavericks in 2026 when Luca needs some, some veterans who can get buckets off the bench. That would be my guess. Um, but could be wrong. Jeff, always fun talking basketball with you, sir. Is anything we should check out from you this week? Uh, yeah, check Keep your eyes on, on early bird rights. We've got something coming, you know, in the next few days, hopefully, if not, it'll be in the next couple weeks after that. Uh, that should be, you know, really interesting, not an article or anything, but just sort of another section of the site that is going to hopefully bring a lot of value to NBA fans and NBA media and NBA, anybody who's who's interested in the sport and interested in sort of the the, the higher end analysis stuff that I like to do. So that's going to be coming hopefully in the next few days, but maybe in the next few weeks, hopefully it's all a lot of hopefully we were supposed to launch this thing Um before the season started, then two weeks in, then four weeks in, and now we're, you know, four months in and we're still, hey, it's coming soon. So hopefully it's coming very, very soon. We're very close to, to launching it, but uh, keep your eyes out on, on early bird rights for that. Go do that. Keep it the great work, sir. I appreciate it. And I will talk to you soon. Absolutely. podcast and now i'm joined first timer harrison wind covers the nuggets covered the nuggets for a long time harrison how is your morning afternoon what is mountain time what is it 10 11 i don't know yeah just about 11 o'clock here in uh in denver doing well thanks for having me on chase nuggets coming off a uh a feel good win i'll say a needed win over the timberwolves i watched that whole game it was uh it was good. I mean, Cat obviously being down uh was not good. Um there's so many guys in the Timberwolves where I'm just like I have no idea who that is. And they're a team right now in the NBA with the season almost coming to a close. We're in the stretch run where we're like, uh, oh, just gotta 
check that up. I'll look at the box score and I'll be like, okay, let me double check who that is. Okay, let me double check who that is. Nuggets, not not really the same thing. Nuggets are deep and they just play a bunch of guys that were like, oh, he's good. That is my Nuggets' strongest take is that everybody in the rotation, I always go, you know what? He's good. Not sure if he's great. He's good. I like him. Yeah, they are really deep and they are really talented. I, I think maybe them and the Clippers are the two deepest teams top to bottom in the league right now. This was like an important win for Denver because they've gone up against uh, a lot of lottery teams this year. And some of their worst losses are to like the Cleveland Cavaliers of the world, the Washington Wizards of the world. So um, just to take care of business sometime for this team is a big accomplishment. Yeah. um, My biggest question with them right now. So I love looking at just different defensive and offensive excuse me, offensive ratings and where you have to be to really contend uh, for an NBA championship and the Nuggets being 39-18 right now, second in the West. They're obviously a great team. How great? Um, We'll have to see with how they fare against the LA teams in the second and third round of the playoffs this year, but they're 12th in defense. I think their offense is good enough to win a title. Like if the, the offense being what it is, I think I've seen, you see enough where you're like, okay, I could see an avenue there. The defense is still just not quite there, I don't think. Is is there anything that you see this season that you're like, maybe if they finally tune this, if they were better about defensive rebounding here, if they force more turn- turnovers there, is there anything in particular that you've seen from this group that um, they can they can work on midseason to kind of get into that top 10 in defensive rating this year? Yeah, well, they've been super banged up really since like the middle of December and Paul Millsap, who's been their most valuable defender for the last three years, like his on off splits are are crazy every year. And like the Nuggets defensive rating when he's on the court this year compared to when he's off, like there, there's obviously a huge discrepancy there, a huge difference there. And he has missed a lot of games as of late and Denver's defensive rating and just their defensive level that they've been playing at has really suffered so him being healthy i i think you'll see that defensive rating rise a little he he is really the key of their defense like a guy like gary harris has probably gotten more pub throughout the season just because he's the guy who's individually guarding devin booker uh, he, he's the guy you know that's going to get james harden a lot tory craig has gotten a lot of pub too but on the backside, I mean, Paul Millsap has been their most valuable defender for you know, three years running now. So you know, the more time he spends on the court over the next couple months, I think you'll see that defensive rating rise. Um, but yet, like defensively, just, just collectively, I, I agree. They probably got to be a little better and maybe just a little more consistent to you know, get up a, into that true contender tier. So two follow-up questions to that. Is Gary Harris and Paul Millsap, like, where are they at health-wise? Gary Harris is always a little banged up, it seems. Uh, Like, almost almost every game, there's, like, a little nick here and there. Uh, It comes up, you know, hobbling up the court, like, maybe once a game. Um, But overall, both those guys are pretty healthy. Uh, They both, you know, like I said, Paul Millsap missed a lot of games in January. Gary Harris is in and out of the lineup. So, I mean, those guys are arrested. They're certainly not, like, running on empty right now. They should be good to go for the stretch run, both of them. 
The reason I asked about Harris in particular is that, like, because the shooting is just falling off a cliff, he's shooting 30% from three this year. He's averaging 10 yeah. points a game. Like, it's just, that's what people give him. Like, it's just, he's been hurt. Something's not right. Like, Gary, Gary Harris is not being a good scorer anymore. Has just been written off to injury for some reason. Um, have you asked him about this? Have, does he, is he aware of what's going on there and why he's just not shooting like he was a couple years ago where he was getting 538 pieces of, like, could Gary Harris be the next Kawhi Leonard? Like, what <laughs> right. happened to Gary Harris in the last couple of years? Because, like you said, he's defending Devin Booker. He's still a great defender. Um, is it that he's having to do too much defensively? That he his offense suffers because of how much of a burden he's carrying um, defending the opposing team's best wings? Like, what is it to you? And what um, has Gary Harris and the team really said about it? You know, honestly, it's a mystery to everybody. Uh, It's a mystery to people around the team. I'm not even sure Gary quite knows what's up because, I mean, if you ask him, he's never one to, you know, divulge a ton of details about his game. But he just has pretty much walked the line of, you know, I'm confident the shot will come around. I'm confident the offenses will come around. But, I mean, this is the offensive guy he's really been for two years now. I mean, 2016, 17, 2017, 18, he was a dynamic offensive player. Uh, off the dribble, catch and shoot threes, finishing at the rim. And like you said, he, he was, you know, getting a ton of praise. Um, but for two years now, this is the guy he's been on the offensive end of the floor. And uh, yeah, a lot of us have chalked up to injuries. But I mean, at some point, like you can only rely on that excuse for so long. He just looks like he lost it to be honest, at some point last year and just hasn't been able to get it back. He obviously has not been a threat from three uh, this season, really, or last season. And then just when he gets the ball within the three-point line, he looks a little frantic with it. He looks like he has the yips a little uh, when when he's trying to attack the rim right now. And he's taken a lot of shots from like that short mid-range area, the floater area. He's been terrible on those. It seems like he's not trying to finish through contact at the rim as much this year. Maybe some of that does go back to the injury history he's had. But honestly, it it does seem just like from talking to everybody around the team, it's a mystery. Do you think he's a part of their long-term plan still? Uh, He definitely was before this year. And, but now I think that's a legitimate question. And I think it's going to have to do a lot with what happens in the playoffs. Because if Denver has an early exit and Gary Harris is this type of offensive player in the playoffs, I think you've got to make a move. And I think the Nuggets would look to make a move. So um, I I think he was definitely a part of the core, you know, at the beginning of last season or even at this point last season. Um, But now I think that's a question mark. How much does Michael Porter factor into that? Uh, I think he factors into that a lot. And, um, you know, one of the big questions about Denver, and this doesn't even go into just Porter's skill and his offensive talent and his shot-making ability and potential, but one thing about Denver that I've had a big question about is just their length at the two guard spots. And, like, Jamal Murray's 6'3", Gary Harris is 6'3", 6'4". They really are really undersized there. And, um, you know, you look at the Nuggets going forward, and they've got Will Barton under contract. They've got Gary Harris under contract. Obviously, you know, Michael Porter Jr. could be this 
blossoming star if he's able to stay healthy. He could, I think, Porter could enter the starting lineup, you know, next year if he keeps ascending at this rate. Um, so maybe they move Barton to the two and Michael Porter starts at the three next year. And that would give you a lot more length and it would give you a lot more offensive versatility. You know, if this is the guy Gary Harris is going to be on that end of the floor going forward. So maybe that's the path forward. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think Porter's just kind of role you would think is just on the rise, although he has not played a lot coming out of the all-star break has looked a little rusty, but um, yeah, it could be maybe a little changing of the guard, you know, at that two spot going forward and Porter will definitely factor into that. I also look at usage rates for certain guys and how the team makeup works and Michael Porter getting um, better and better as the season goes on. And like you said, he's post all-star break, not a, a little rocky, but Jokic has a 27% usage rate. Jamal Murray, 25%. That's right. Like the the rest, role player usage rates. So when you have a team like Denver, they're in a like they're in an interesting spot because you have an MVP type player in Jokic. He's ready to win now. He's 24. You have Jamal Murray who's trying to get to that level. He's 22. But then you also like they're ready to win. They're good, they're great players on a contender. In the West, mm-hmm. and they play a lot of veterans. You have Will Barton, you have Gary Harris, you have Jeremy Grant, you have Paul Millsap, you have Tory Craig, you have Mason Plumley. Um, you just have a lot of dudes who are just contributing and can help you win a lot of basketball games. Then you have Michael Porter in there, who's 21, who you're trying to like. So much of your franchise's future really depends on him more than Jokic and Murray, I think, because I think ceiling-wise, none of them have the ceiling that Porter does. And if Porter doesn't have the injury concern to Mizzou and everything else and doesn't unfold the way it does, he's a number one, number two overall pick. Like, a wing who can dribble and have that, like what we saw with Tatum yesterday and what we've really seen this year, that kind of jump um, as a lead ball handler playmaker at the wing spot just changes the, the entire course of your franchise. Like, what Porter becomes, I think, changes everything with Denver. Like, Jokic is great. Love Jokic. Love Murray. I don't think either of them could be the best player on a championship winning team. But if Porter makes that jump and they don't make the big swing with Gary Harris in, in pieces for like a Bradley Beal or whatever, like that is how they get into that next level. But also, they don't want to just mess up what's going on with Jokic and Murray and their usage rate and how comfortable they are in this offense. But like, hey, guess what? You Murray, you're going to play with the ball a little bit more. Jokic, you're going to have to play with the ball a little bit more. Like the only way for this franchise to continue moving forward is Porter to get more opportunities to be the lead ball handler do lead pick and rolls pick and pops with Jokic, and i just i think it's going to be interesting to see how malone manages inserting porter like you said maybe into that starting three spot next year and uh, making sure that he's getting enough reps and opportunities to get to that next level because it happens quick and you have to go ahead and make sure they don't turn to torian prince or harrison barnes before it's too late so i i very much love this kind of stuff um and just young wings that can go two different ways depending on how they're coached and what opportunities they're given early on in their career. No. Yeah, it is fascinating. And I will push back on one thing. I do think Jokic can be the best player on a championship team for sure. Um, okay. But I, I do agree with you that Porter probably has a ceiling that is you know, very close to Jokic's or even maybe above Jokic's. Um, but the, way that Porter develops over you know the last couple months of the season and, and kind of 
getting him back in the rhythm he was before the All-Star break has to be at or very near the top of the Nuggets' priority list because Porter just can do things uh, on the court, specifically on the offensive end. And I think before the All-Star break, he was really improving as a defender as well. But he can do things on offense that nobody else on this Nuggets team can. Kind of like what you were getting at, uh, you know, the Jason Tatum, the, the creation stuff on the wing. Nobody else on this roster can do that stuff. And his intangibles can definitely put Denver over the top in a playoff series. So I, I just think that getting Porter back in rhythm and on track and really just locking him into – in, you know, a big role here, 20 plus minute per game role has to be the Nuggets top priority right now. And it is a little concerning that coming out of the break, it doesn't seem like it is. Um, the other thing it, when talking about Jokic, Porter, Murray, that's really encouraging is I mentioned the injuries earlier. Those three haven't really had a ton of opportunity to play minutes together. You know, coming out of the all-star break, they've only played like 75 minutes or something together. Now, the results have been pretty good, but it's not really a big sample size. Um, really, when Jamar, Jamal Murray went down with an ankle injury, missed 10 games right before the All-Star break, that's really when Porter started to go crazy. So those three haven't really had a ton of opportunities to play with each other when they're all in a nice rhythm. Now, Jokic and Porter have shown really good chemistry, just in kind of like the Nuggets read and react offense, playing off one another in the two-man game. That's super promising. So. Uh, another big storyline over the second half of the season, this last couple of months, is how do those three play off of one another? Uh, because I think there's a lot of potential there. Uh, I think those three could really complement each other well. And um, yeah, it's going to be exciting to watch over over the next couple of months. You know, the three guys who are most likely, at least in my opinion, the, their potential big three going forward. What um. What do you think is their best starting five? In the, I guess not even best starting five. What's their best closing five um, against the Lakers and their best closing five against the Clippers? Is it different or is it the same? Well, I, I mean, if you're thinking about closing fives against like those two teams, I guess you're thinking about, you know, how do you match up with LeBron? How do you match up, match up with Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George? I mean, I do wonder if, you know, you're playing a team like the Clippers. Maybe you want Jeremy Grant out there, you know, in place of potentially a Paul Millsap. Jeremy Grant has guarded Kawhi Leonard really well here in, mm. I think, uh, the Nuggets and late Nuggets and Clippers last matchup. So I would, you know, think about having Jeremy Grant out there potentially at the four if you're closing against the Lakers. Now, I don't know if he has just kind of the strength to match up with a LeBron. Uh, that's a different kind of matchup. Maybe Paul Millsap is a better fit there. Um, but that power forward spot, I feel like is going to be a thing to just watch with this team based on the matchup. I think Denver could go a couple different ways. And then if you're playing the Clippers, maybe you try to try Jeremy Grant out there at the three per se. So you can, you know, get some defense on both Kawhi and both Paul George. So I don't know if that really, I'm not, I'm not giving you a full five, but I mean, I guess Jamal Murray would be out there. Jokic would be out there. Will Barton would be out there. Um, Paul Millsap would be out there. And then that fifth spot is probably up for grabs. Maybe Jeremy Grant gets out there for defensive purposes. Um, 
you know, maybe that is Porter uh, looking ahead a couple months. It's, um, I don't know, man. Like Porter is like the wild card there, right? Like I don't, you could throw him out there, but then it's just like, this is a huge moment for him. And you're hoping he has like a Tatum like playoff run, but, um, early on a couple of years ago, but it is interesting. Do you think that they, cause you don't want to lose the confidence of Gary Harris or somebody like that. Um, depending on the match, man, like then Millsap being 34, would he be okay with Jeremy Grant getting the Kawhi responsibility and him running the bitch? I just, Malone's, he's going to have to earn his paycheck. I think this playoffs, because I think he's going to have a lot of complicated choices. Like the Clippers and the Lakers, the Rockets, even the jazz, even you look at like what they're going to do with different matchups. They're like, I, I have a pretty good idea of what they're going to do and what five they need to throw out and who they have to throw at different guys. The nuggets. This is like one of the pitfalls, I guess of having so much depth is that like you have so many different choices you can use in your Swiss army knife. And I, I think that's good. But I also think it's uh, it, it's interesting to think about of like, okay, who do we go here? And it gives you the opportunity to overthink stuff. But um, I don't know. They give me some Raptors-y vibes on that front of the last couple of years where it's just like you can't really go wrong with playing any of these guys because they're all good. The Pacers did this too where the Pacers literally just don't have – they haven't had a bad player in their rotation in like four years. And um, I don't know. I think it's uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how that all goes. Can you explain to me why Jamal Murray is shooting 33% from three this year? Oh, well, he got off to a terrible start like he has for, um, you know, his four years in the league. And <laughs> Jamal, Mur- Jamal Murray is just a really streaky three-point shooter. He has been since mm-hmm. he got into the league. And he's been more bad than good this year. Uh, to be quite honest, it's funny because I think at his core, he's like a, you know, 37, 38% guy, but has just been so up and down, so many peaks and valleys over uh, his four-year career he's had ankle trouble too this year like he's had every year he's really prone to ankle injuries um he, but i mean he should be a much better shooter than he is uh just a super streaky guy like a lot of guys on the nuggets are if the nuggets get bounced in round two and it's like a six or seven game series maybe against the clippers mm-hmm. do we see massive changes or do they go look the Clippers are probably going to win the title, whatever. Like, we lost to the best team in the NBA. Let's not overreact. Or do you think Connolly and Malone have a lot of pressure on them from Kroenke in this front office that you have to win now? With the amount of just, like, what we've invested in this team, where we're going, we think we should be NBA champions, or we should be close. We should be closer than we are. Like, do they have to get to the Western Conference Finals to not make drastic moves? No, I don't think so. I, I think if they get to where they did last year, uh, they could run it back again. I don't know if that would be the right choice. Like I said, depending on what happens in the playoffs, I think Gary Harris could be moved this summer. And, um, you know, obviously think moves would be made with, you know, Porter in mind as that guy to pick up a bulk of the minutes on the wing. But, I mean, this organization has never been one to – react like full full fledged to stuff like that. They've never, you know, been one to make drastic moves um you know based on expectations and whatnot. They've preached continuity. Uh, that's been like one of their core principles. That yeah, the stakes are higher, the expectations are higher, 
Um, but I don't think it's like conference finals or blow everything up by any means. Yeah, I think they could make like a change to their starting lineup, which is a big deal for them because, yeah. you know, they've had really pretty much the same starting lineup for two years now, which I don't know how many other teams in the league you can say that for. Um, but I wouldn't say like necessarily wholesale changes will be coming if they reach the point in the playoff that they did last year. Last thing, and then we'll go. Um, what is a Nikola Jokic nugget? And I, I apologize for the fun that, uh, <laughs> that you like that maybe not everybody knows about with him. Well, I mean, everybody knows about, you know, his love of horse racing, right? Mm-hmm. Or do they? I, I, That's I been well so. covered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like the national media is up to date on his post-game workout routine. Okay. Correct. I, I'm not even aware of this. Okay. Well, a, like a big thing, like Jokic got off to that kind of rough offensive start this year, and the Nuggets were 13 and three, but you know he was wasn't putting up the numbers that he was putting up in the playoffs last year. And everybody's like, "What's going on?" Well, you know, he had the long summer with Serbia, came into the training camp, came to the preseason a little overweight, but after a Nuggets loss to the Lakers in um, November. And it's funny because the Lakers and Anthony Davis is kind of the only team he hasn't gotten the better of this year. He's gotten the better of Rudy Gobert. He's gotten the better of, you know, Carl Towns, Joel Embiid, but Anthony Davis keeps eluding him. Um, but after a loss to the Lakers in November, he, uh, like, admitted postgame, he's like, yeah, I'm in a slump. Uh, I haven't been in a slump, you know, often throughout my career. And around that time, he also started working out. Uh, lifting weights post game, and now he's dropped 25 pounds over the last like two months, and you know I think that's gone a long ways to him having you know the last couple months January and February that he's had you know playing at an MVP level. So, um, I mean, the guy is like in in really good shape uh, compared to where he was at training camp during the preseason, and I think it's really helped him out a lot. Interesting. Um, I lied. I have one more follow-up question. One more, one more, and then we'll go. Um, if you had to guess, the Nuggets get the number two seed. They get the Clippers in round two, but they have home court. Do you think they beat the Clippers in round two? You know, if you were asking me this at the beginning of the season, I would have said hell no. But I think they can because for two reasons. A, a little nervous about Paul George. And B... I don't know how the Clippers guard Jokic. Um, Zubac can't handle Jokic on the block, so they'd have to send doubles. And uh, I just trust, like Jokic did in that Spurs series when San Antonio really doubled him hard that entire series, that he's able to make the right play. And, yeah, that might come down to Nuggets hitting enough threes, which, you know, they've had some really poor shooting nights this year uh, that make you nervous about their three-point shooting in the playoffs, um, especially after trading Wayne Malik Beasley. But I, I would just trust Jokic in that scenario. So I'd take the Nuggets in seven if they had home court. Wow. That would whew, that would be incredible news for the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> it, it, would, it definitely would. It definitely would because while I could see the Nuggets beating the Clippers, 
you know, if they had home court, I'm not sure they have a shot against the Lakers. I mean, I wonder if we're living in a world where the Lakers just go 4-1-4-1-4-1 or something like that. That it, your scenario, I think, just it it just leads a, just a cakewalk to LeBron and AD winning winning the championship this year. Like that is like they the Nuggets died so that the the Lakers could rise. Um, um all right harrison well this has been great i appreciate you coming on the podcast this was a lot of fun first appearance um is there anything we should check out from you this week on denver sports yeah just follow along uh on twitter at harrison wind you know i've got stuff coming out all the time and uh our podcast the dnvr nuggets podcast monday through friday so always pumping out fresh podcast episodes there we go. Go check it out. Harrison, keep up the great work, and uh, good luck the rest of the way. Thanks, Chase. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, if you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, you can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash chase Thomas writer, um, for as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas. You could go to chase Thomas podcast.com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, um, links to everything that you need, um, and all of my writing that uh, I'm doing fairly often these days um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, so go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, so that's awesome. But uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.